morning again. Good morning, man. Thank you, Ben, for leading us into worship. And uh, gosh, we do just pray, Holy Spirit, that you, you know you're you're welcome here. And uh, if you're a guest here, man, we're so glad that you're here with us too. Um, we know that we are potentially a little bit different than the church that you grew up in. And so what we like to say is this, don't judge us for how we do church and we won't judge you for being so judgy. Deal? Good. Good. Just want to get that out of the out of the air there. Hey, so man, I'm so excited about what God's doing here. Again, want to welcome you. Um, again, my name is Peyton. I'm the, the lead pastor here at City Lights Inn. And today we're starting a brand new series called The Table. And I'm so excited about this. I've been praying about it for, for a while. And um, just want to kind of share that basically what, over these next six weeks, what we're going to be covering is the importance of developing authentic relationships inside and outside of the church with those who believe in Jesus and those who don't believe in Jesus. Because you need to know this. If you are a believer in Jesus, if the only people you know are people who believe in Jesus, that's a good thing, but you're missing the message of the Great Commission to go out and share the gospel with people. And so we're going to talk about how to, because let's just, can we just be honest here for a minute? Sometimes Christians have a terrible name with people who don't believe in Jesus. And it's our fault, right? It's not God's fault or the gospel. It's our fault. And so we've been challenged through Jesus and the Great Commission and, and, and the great challenge of Acts 1-8 to go out and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, not just till the end of church. Right? It doesn't say till the end of church. It says to the ends of the earth. And so that's what we're talking about over the next six weeks is how do we develop these relationships, authentic relationships, and most importantly, where those relationships are formed. And I think you're going to see over the next six weeks that they are developed, they happen at the table. Now, just by a show of hands, I don't want to make people feel guilty or think that your childhood was wrong. But growing up, or even still now, if you shared meals with your family and you all sit at the table, raise your hand. A lot of people. I mean, it's something that we kind of do in the South and, and maybe all over, um, but I think the South is better than other places, so I was a little biased to it. But I think what we're going to see is that, um, that there's something that happens. When we sit at a table, there's community built there. There's laughing, there's storytelling, there's family time. And we're going to see that over the next six weeks, as we form these relationships, that we've got to be gathering. We've got to be gathering around the table and really cultivating those relationships. And specifically, what we're going to talk about today is how we prepare the number one relationship. But one of the greatest relationships God has given us is a relationship with our moms. Uh, one, oper- uh, you know, one opportunity to have a good mom in your life. And so I want to say this to be sensitive. I know that there are women, uh, men listening to this message whose mom is not here because of death or illness. I know there are women listening to this message who biologically, the doctors say you can't have children. I know there are women and, and, and men listening to this message whose mother walked out or faced drug addiction or all these things that are very difficult for you. And I would be insensitive if I did not mention those. However, today we celebrate hard-loving, tender, affectionate Moms, Amen. Let's just celebrate our good moms today. And, and if it's okay, if we could, there's things that I've been seeing going around on Facebook, and I just want to um, take some time to squash that, if we may. Uh, I grew up with a single-parent mom who worked full-time outside of the home. I currently live with a mom who is a stay-at-home mom. That's my wife, for y'all who are thinking, that this pastor's weird. It's my wife. It's my wife, so I'm talking about, okay? And there's these things kind of going around on Facebook, and you see, like, 
10 things a working mom would say to a stay-at-home mom or 10 things a stay-at-home mom wishes a full-time working mom would know. Let's just get this out of the air. I, I, I was raised with a mom who worked full-time outside of the home. I live with a mom who's full-time in the home, and I don't know how either one of them do it, okay? I'll just be honest with you. And uh, there's no such thing as a part-time mom. There's no such thing. And so if we could just squash that and say that a mom is a mom and whatever life she chooses or whatever career that God gives her or if she wants to sacrifice and stay at home or whatever, can we just celebrate moms and get all that stuff out of here? Good, good. Because moms are mom and it's one of the greatest relationships that God could give us. And as I begin to think about this, um, at our home, when we have guests over, when we have family over, or we're going to sit at the table and share a meal together, it's typically, it's my wife who prepares mainly everything. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that, babe. She's in here today. And I'm not saying it because it's Mother's Day. It's true. But I am grateful for you. Um, she just does. I mean, it's not because I won't or don't. She just, it's just kind of how, she, you know, her at home is what she takes care of. That's kind of her boundary. And, um, and so as I got to thinking about it, sharing a meal, sitting at the table, thinking about these relationships, I want you to, the preacher's giving you permission to speak. If you're going to have guests over, if you're going to have a, a meal with your family, there are two basic things that you have to have. Can you tell me what those are? Fried chicken, Fried chicken somebody said. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to have food. Dishes. You got to have dishes. You got to have dishes. So you got to have silverware. You got to have cups. You got to have plates. You gotta have this, that, and you gotta have food. That's the two basic things you have to have. Well, today specifically, in part one, we're talking about set the table. And what we're talking about specifically is how do we prepare a relationship with Jesus? Because if you don't have one with him, everything else is gonna fall apart. Everything else is gonna fall apart. And so as you think about setting the table, you have to at least have food, you have to have dishes. I want to take those the two basic things that you have to have for the table. And compare that to the two things you have to have if you're going to prepare a relationship with Jesus. And that is this. There must be confession and there must be repentance. Or we would say it like this. There must be acknowledgement of your need for him. And there must also be you going to him and confessing, hey, I am sorry for living this way. Regardless of what you've done, we are all in need of a Savior. Regardless of what you haven't done, you're no better than those who have done Certain things. So if we're going to set the table, if we're going to prepare a relationship with him, we must have repentance and there must be confession. I'm really excited about that today's, today's message and we're going, to, we're going to dive right in. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 19 with me. If you have it on your phone, you can turn it on. If you don't have a Bible, I once was there as well. And you can, as you're exiting, stop by that next steps table and we'll give you a free Bible. No questions asked. We just want to give you one. And, of course, if you don't have one, don't have a phone, we'll have it up on the screen. That's where I read from most of the time anyway, so don't worry about following along. But we're in Luke chapter 19. If you grew up in church, which I didn't really, so I don't know the song, but there's a song about Zacchaeus that says something about a wee little man. You guys know what I'm talking about? Wee little man was he or something like that. That's who we're talking about today, Zacchaeus. So it's a very well-known story, but as I begin to study this, I was just kind of sitting at home and thinking, you know, God, show me, you know, what does it mean? to be in a relationship with you. If we're going to set the table and make preparations, and I was, this is no joke. This is not one of those super spiritual answers, and you're like, oh, of course. But I just really felt like God led me to Luke 19. It was so weird. I was just kind of flipping through there and, and came across it and began to read it. And for those of you who read your Bible, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you to read your Bible. If you're here this morning and you do know Jesus, I would encourage you to read your Bible more. But I've read this story I don't know how many times, and something just sparked in me. 
something new because the Word of God is alive, we believe here. So we're in Luke chapter 19, and we're just going to dive right in this morning as we talk about set the table, understanding that there must be repentance and confession, specifically how we prepare to have a relationship with Jesus, because He must be, Christ must be at the center of everything. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, what you need to understand about Zacchaeus and what it meant to be a tax collector is these guys were despised back then. Matter of fact, let me show you how it's still true today. Anybody in here love the IRS? I didn't think so. Anybody in here work for the IRS? It's not personal. Probably should ask that one first. I'm kidding. So there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. In fact, it says he was a chief tax collector. So what's happening in this first century in the Palestine-Israel area is they are under control by the Romans. And what the Romans would do is, basically, because they didn't want to tie up their own personnel, their own soldiers, their own workers, they would go out and recruit these Jews and say, hey, listen, if you'll take up this money, I'll give you a percentage of it. And so clearly what we see here is that Zacchaeus, he had become very rich. What this is evident of is that he was good at extorting money from people. He was good at getting money from people if he had become very rich. So certainly he wouldn't have been locked anyway to take money from his own people, and let alone that he was becoming rich. So it's important that we understand that what culture threw away, you're going to see that God redeemed. What culture saw as invaluable, God saw as priceless. It's important that we understand that analogy and comparison there about Zacchaeus. Verse 3. It says, He tried to get a look at Jesus but it was too short to see over the crowd. And you need to know this. There's nothing wrong with being a good-looking short man. Amen? It doesn't say it about Zacchaeus, but I'm pretty sure he was good-looking and short. There's nothing wrong with it. Trust me, I know. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over. Verse 4. Hang with me. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out here. Zacchaeus had a physical disability, if you would call it, or physical limitation, rather, that he could not see over the crowd to see Jesus. See, one of the things we're going to have to do is, if you're here and you know Jesus, or you're searching him, or you're not even sure what you think about him, but you're going to develop that relationship, is you've got to position yourself to see the Savior. For Zacchaeus, he was a little short man. For some of you, it could be your finances are in the way. Your finances are your God, so you can't see Yahweh, the true God. For some of you, it could be sex, drugs, rock and roll, and party. That's the idol that you worship. But we've got to position ourselves. And notice what Zacchaeus did. It says that he, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. Now, as we, as we study the Scripture, what you must understand is it's very likely that Zacchaeus was there at work, collecting money on the side of the road, and here's that Jesus comes by. So what Zacchaeus did was he left people, places, and things to get a glimpse of the Savior. He dropped everything he had to go get a glimpse of him. I would ask you this diagnostic question. When was the last time you ever dropped anything you had to go see him? Maybe this morning. Maybe you feel like being here this morning is a big sacrifice. He ran ahead, and he climbed a tree. Now, it's interesting here, as I begin to study this, so it's, you could say this, I think, fair, that Zacchaeus got ahead of Jesus. He got ahead of him. When God began to put a desire in my heart to start City Lights Church, honestly, I was very naive about what it even meant. 
to, to start a church. And I began trying to cast vision and share with some people who God had placed around me about what I believed God could do if we would just cry, if we would just climb up this fig tree, if we would just step out in faith, I believe that God was going to pass by. Now, you don't know this this morning, but let me tell you. We stepped out in faith, and this right here is evidence. You sitting in this room is that God passed by. So you think you're just attending a church, but what we see, those of us who've been praying for this, those who wear a volunteer shirt, we see God passing by. We see us climbing that fig tree, and we're going higher and higher and higher. And I've got cold chills, and I'd about kick this table over, but that'd be kind of weird. So it's about stepping out in faith here. And so what Zacchaeus did was he placed himself away from people, places, and things. And let me tell you this. This is a good word, I believe. If you're going to... Position yourself to see the Savior sometimes in some ways, many, many times painful ways, you're going to have to separate yourself from things. Let me tell you, not only did Zacchaeus separate himself from people, places, and things, but he separated himself from his comfort level. See, he was sitting here good, making money, doing what he wanted to do, doing what he'd always know he could do. If Zacchaeus would have remained where he was, it's very likely that Jesus would have just passed him by. And I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want to call you out on the spot on this. But if you're in Christ this morning, can you think of a time where you felt like you should have climbed that fig tree, you should have stepped out in faith, but you didn't, and you felt like Jesus walked by you, and you missed the blessing? Let me tell you something. Here's a good note for you. Complacency kills the calling complacency kills the calling. So you feel safe here. You're complacent. You're comfortable. You know this. You know these people. You know these places. You know these things. But sometimes God wants to get you outside of it so you can see him. Sometimes you're going to have to climb the tree and not just swing from it where you're comfortable. Amen? I can see most of you are with me. The other of you, you're, you're still trying to figure it out. So hang with me here. Zacchaeus had to position himself to see the Savior. He knew this was his time. So he, he got out ahead. He passed by. He let people go on. He set out on a mission. And look what happens in verse 5. When Jesus came by, Zacchaeus was right. He looked up at Zacchaeus, called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, I, wanna, I want you to understand this. There was potentially hundreds of people pressing in with Jesus as he was passing through Jericho, yet his attention is drawn to the short man up in the tree. And I'm going to ask you something again here. This is okay for us to kind of talk back and forth. When you see this scripture, Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, called him by name, Zacchaeus. Is there anything that strikes you about this verse? He knew his name. Now, according to the text that we're reading before and after, which is what we call context, there's no indication that Jesus had met Zacchaeus before. His attention is drawn to him. And so I think a legitimate question would be, is how does Jesus know his name? He doesn't say, hey, you, short dude. Hey, you crazy kid up in the fig tree. Get down. Come here. Jesus, speaking in reference to his sheep and him being the good shepherd, listen to what he says in John chapter 10, verse 3. 
the gatekeeper, heaven, opens the gate, salvation for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them down from the sycamore tree. Interesting. Here we see that it's about Jesus knowing us. Listen to what he says in John chapter 6, verse 44. Say the underlined word with me. For no one, try it again, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. Now, not to beat a dead horse in the ground here, but I've shared this many, many times, probably because it was the most uh, pivotal one of the things I learned when studying Scripture. When you study Scripture, if you've heard me say this once, you've heard it a thousand times. If this is your first time hearing it, you'll hear it a thousand times. When you begin to study Scripture, regardless if you're looking at an entire book of the Bible or a chapter, it doesn't matter. You're looking for certain things. And one of the things you're looking for is a repetition of words, repetitive words. And so here we see in this one verse, Jesus uses this first person pronoun, me. In this verse alone, he uses me three times. Now, if I was sitting up here and I said, me likes to do this, me likes to go there, me likes Mexican, not Burger King, what would you think is important about what I'm talking about? Jesus says, it's me. It's really not about you. It's about me loving you. This should be revelational for somebody. This should, I mean, this should be it. This should spark something because what he's saying is that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So what that means is this. It does not matter how often you attended Sunday school. It does not matter how much money you give when the offering plate goes around. If your daddy was a deacon or he was a preacher, you don't wake up and decide to follow Jesus Christ. No, not without him first drawing himself towards you. On your best day, you don't wake up and say, God, here I am. No, you look to the cross and Jesus said, here I come. Here I come. So then what does this mean, Pastor? What does this mean? So let's back up a little bit. So Zacchaeus is sitting by the side of the road. He hears of this man named Jesus coming by. He separates himself from people, places, and things. He tries to get a look but can't. And now he climbs the fig tree. Y'all thought I was fixing to say a bad word, didn't you? <laughs> Listen, I was pretty nervous my own self. I was thinking, there's no way we'll recover for that one. Not on Mother's Day, they said. <laughs> Father's Day, maybe, but not Mother's Day. So he, he climbs up the fig tree. So what we see then is this. If that Jesus is the one who draws us, if he calls his sheep by name, if we can't come to him unless the Father first draws us, then what we see then is that it was grace that sparked Zacchaeus to get it from that table. Now, I want to share something with you that I think, I want you to understand this, that I realize I'm going to introduce an idea to some of you that may be a little weird for you, Okay. I want to just go ahead and get that out of the way. This may be a little weird, but what we see here is this then. So Zacchaeus is sitting by the road. The Savior comes by. He decides to get up. can't see him. He climbs his tree. But according to the scripture we just read, it's the Father who draws us. So you can't say that it was Zacchaeus on his own. The Spirit was moving in him. 
what if, we're going to read here in just a moment about salvation coming home to the home of Zacchaeus. What if then, if it's the Father who stirs in us long before we even get to him, here's the idea. What if salvation is a process and not an instantaneous decision? Can I show you? This is the heavy-duty whiteboard. It's going to... Come on, baby. Come on, Troy. Woo. That is as far as I can get, so as far as it's coming. What if salvation is a process and not an instantaneous decision? Now, what I know is this, and I mean this very politely. The more religious you are, the more offended you're going to be what I'm fixing to say. But if you're in Jesus Christ... You ask the Spirit to testify with what this pastor is teaching you, okay? On that note, I love to have fun here. I love for us to have a good time at church. If you can't have it at church, where can you not? But I have a great responsibility, greater than some of you may know or acknowledge, when I stand on this platform and proclaim the Word of God, and I take that very seriously. Because the Scriptures say that someday this pastor will stand before him and be held accountable for everything I taught my sheep. So don't think that I ever get it. I love to play and have Good time, but don't think that I don't ever not pray seriously about what I teach because I have a huge responsibility. I don't expect you to understand it, but I expect you to pray for this pastor. So that being said, what if salvation is a process and not just a moment decision? Let me say it like this. That way I can kind of, for some of you who are on, you're not sure what you think. Let me see if I can get some of you on board. How many of you, truthfully, the very first time you heard of Jesus, you got saved? How many, very honestly, the second time you heard about Jesus, you got saved? How many of you, potentially, years after going to church, or years after hearing the teaching of Jesus, you got saved? All right. So, what this is called is conception to birth. Very fitting for Mother's Day. Trust me, I planned it out, okay? So, moms. I need, I need some help from some moms on this. I imagine this is the lifeline, or if you will, not an entire lifeline, but this is representative of a Christian's life. Also a baby's life. And here is conception. Talking to my moms here. When does life begin? Conception. Agreed, right? We agree. Life begins here. Now, imagine this is the womb. All right? Imagine this is the womb here. Moms, how do you know when your baby is in the womb that it's a real human? Just say it out loud. Somebody said moves. What else? Heartbeat. My handwriting hasn't changed since second grade, so bear with me, okay? That's why I speak and not write. What else, moms? How do you know that the baby's alive when it's in the womb? Somebody said what now? (laughs) Feelings or something like that? Somebody said what else? Ultrasound, I heard kicks. Your belly grows. You're very sick. You're hungry. 
All right, hey. Hormones. 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 So, cravings. Okay, this is, let me, this is getting out of hand here. You settle down. So, we would agree that these are all very real things, the evident of life in there, correct? I mean, one of the things that amazes me about birth, um, there are many things, but I've shared this before, is when you, man, it's just incredible, you know, your first ultrasound, you're six, seven, eight weeks there, give or take, and you know this, moms, dads, what's the incredible thing that you experience that first ultrasound? And it looks like a little bean in there, doesn't it? And you're like, oh, how could that be? But there's life. Now, let me ask you this, and I mean it in the most basic form. When your baby is born, and I'm being serious, in the basic elementary form, how do you know that baby is alive? Screams. Howls. Breathe. Those are good. So it's very evident, correct? But if this baby is before, born before term, there's a high risk that things go wrong, right? It's got to be in the womb a certain amount of time. Are you guys, if you're with me, say I am. Now, let's change this over to a Christian's life, okay? This is still conception. This is still birth. I want to point out this first about being born. In John chapter 3, there's a Pharisee. I love the scripture says he came to Jesus at night because he knew if he went during the day, He'd be having a hard time from his fellow workers. His name was Nicodemus. And he asked Jesus, basically, what does it take to inherit eternal life? And what did Jesus tell him? You must be born again. And remember what Nicodemus said? He said, how can a full-grown man climb inside his mama's womb and do all that? Right? See, to us, we know what it means. But 2,000 years ago, that had been radical teaching for Nicodemus to hear. He said, you must be born again. You must be born again. So... Let me use my testimony. At age 13-ish, I began attending church. I mean, I went with my mom, and we went, you know, before then, but really kind of on my own. I began getting plugged in with the youth group, and, and I made a decision on Saturday night at Saturday Night Live at Hillville Baptist Church to get saved, right? That's what we call salvation, when we get saved, when we pray the prayer and we receive Christ. Well, what happened for me was I was on fire until I was about 17 years old. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're on fire those first couple of years. You could take on hell with you know, some water balloons, and you're crazy enough to do it. And then something happens, and you fall off. Well, for me, that fall off was about seven to eight years, and I've made no shame about this. Drugs alcohol, sin, walking away from it, we would call it in the church life. And then what happened on January 21st, 2009, now listen, I'm going to go back to this. I'm going to tie this all in. It'll make sense. On January 21st in 2009, around midnight in my driveway, I had this moment with Christ where I believe for the first time in my life, I was, as Jesus would say, born again. Now, what I'm not talking about here is getting saved twice, okay? That's not what I'm talking about here. For, so for those of you who are trying to pick me apart, I'm not talking about getting saved twice. You can't do that, by the way, all right? So what I would say then is this. All I know for sure, for me, for this pastor, is in 2009, I was born again of the Spirit. Now, 
If you go backwards, though, from 13 to 17 to this time, I am reading my Bible. I am praying. I am attending church. Can I be honest with you? I'm giving occasionally. But I'm in the womb. I'm, I'm giving you signs that there's life there, but I'm just not really born yet. Does that make sense? I can see it in some of you. You're getting it with me. You're getting it. It's giving me cold chills. But see, I, was, I had to be in this womb for a process. Now, I'm not suggesting that your time in the womb must be 15 years or 10 years. I'm telling you what mine was. And then something happened on 2009 when Jesus called me by my name when I was in the driveway. And then I began to realize that it was the Father who drew me to Him. During this time in the womb, I'm giving you signs that there's life there, but I just wasn't born again yet. The same with Zacchaeus. His time is a little bit different. We see that he steps out of the crowd. He tries to get a look. There's signs that he's seeking him. Then he goes all out and climbs the tree. You guys with me? It's good, isn't it? It's good. I can feel the anointing of the Spirit right now. After Jesus calls Zacchaeus to come down from the tree, we pick back up in our reading, okay? Verse 6 here. It says, Zacchaeus quickly. Notice Jesus said, hey, you quick come down. Zacchaeus said, quickly, I'll come down. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Let me ask you something. If you're in Christ, do you leave here? Do you come here excited and joy of the Lord? You should. You should, verse 7. Listen, here's one of those nasty butts. There's one of those big old butts that gets in the way. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumble, talking about Jesus. Now, when I read this, though, I'm not really shocked or perplexed that Jesus went with a notorious sinner. In fact, I think it's right on par for the type of people that Jesus hung out with and who he associated with. When I begin to share a vision with some people about the, the City Lights Church and how I hope that we have people like this struggling with drugs and alcohol, more importantly, people that haven't even been born yet, that maybe they've never struggled with alcohol, maybe they've never even smoked a cigarette, maybe they're just polypure panties and don't know Jesus, I don't know what, but I just, people who are far from God, they would say something like this to me, yeah, those people need a church too, and after wanting to punch them in the mouth, I was thinking, you are those people, and you should be here as well. I'm just preaching this morning a little bit. They were displeased, and I guarantee you, it was the religious Pharisees who were mad that Jesus was hanging with such people. Let me tell you something. My friends, my family, my church family, we ought to be gathering around the table with people like that right there, and we're flat out wrong if we don't. Flat out wrong if we don't. So two things I want to point out to this at this point as we begin to close. Oftentimes people feel guilty to accept the grace of God because of our shame or guilt or regret, but don't let your guilt stop you because clearly Jesus has no problems hanging out with the notorious sinners. So he has no problem hanging out with you either. The second thing is this. If Jesus is willing to sit at the table with a notorious sinner, then so should the church, so should the people of God. Jesus had no problem inviting himself to Nicodemus' house. He has no problem inviting himself into your heart if you'll just open the door. I love the next verse because it indicates that Zacchaeus paid no attention to the haters as they were like, hey, why is Jesus going off with this man? He's a sinner. Verse 8, the first word. Meanwhile, as in like, 
So what? And? Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, here's where we kind of get symbolic. This is not literally Zacchaeus just saying, I'm going to give all the money back. What he's doing here is he is acknowledging his sin and he is repenting. God, I've done this. I know it. Let me make it right. Confession and repentance. Because he knows, listen, back in the first century when people were guests in your home, they shared a meal together. So what we see is he's preparing the table. He's preparing to set the table for Jesus. And he realizes that there must be repentance and there must be confession of the sins. Confessing. We must point out again, it's important as we close, that Zacchaeus was moved by the Father, by grace. I think, I really believe this. Zacchaeus could have refused because God is not about fourth century. God is not a mechanical dictator, I like to say. Just like the story as Zacchaeus is setting the tables, he is making preparations, we are drawn by grace, and we must, we must, people in here, listen, respond through faith. Verse 9, Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. Not when he climbed the tree, not when he was in the womb, not when he tried to see over the people, but when he was born again. Salvation has come today. Look, for, the, excuse me, for this man, for Zacchaeus, has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. One of the greatest verses in the Bible, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. You did not wake up and choose to follow him, for he first sought you out. You did not receive salvation. It was given to you. You accept it and embrace it. Jesus does the seeking and the saving. He initiates the relationship with us. Here's the bottom line this morning. Confession and repentance are the only preparations needed to set the table. If we're going to have this relationship with Jesus, if we're going to prepare the table where we gather around with Him, with Christ at the center of it, listen to me this morning. You must, listen, it's not churchy word, it's a biblical word. You must confess. God, here's what I am without you with you I am holy righteous redeemed I am not a product of my past you have a purpose for it I've got a future that's brighter than what I can see I'm no longer held down by the chains of bondage addiction depression insecurity a failed marriage an abusive relationship somebody somebody with me or should I just keep shouting until we, we realize that what I'm talking about is everybody in here. What I know is this. There are people here this morning, you've been conceived. There's, I mean, there's evidence that there's life in the womb. I mean, you're, you're praying, you're, you're, you're talking, you're attending church. You're in the womb. You've not been born again. And God just tell you, this is my testimony. This is my testimony. This whole time, I don't know. I don't. 
People said, as I've shared this, would you have went to heaven? Well, I don't know. I don't know that I knew him. But what I know now is I've been made known by him. If you're here this morning, and this is you, you've been conceived, but you've not been born again. And I know it's kind of a weird idea, but if you'll just ask the Spirit to testify with you, if I'm teaching you correct, you'll see this pastor is teaching truth. If you're here this morning, you say, man, that's me. I've been conceived, but I've not been born again. I'm like Zacchaeus. I've got to put myself in position to see the Savior. The band's going to lead us in a song. It's so simple. Just here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can celebrate, God, in this this worship uh, atmosphere, God, that we can worship you and see from Zacchaeus that, God, there are certain things we've got to do if we're going to hear from you, if we're going to know you. God, like Zacchaeus, put us in a position to see you to know you. And God, the, the truth is this. I'm going to ask you to do something that seems kind of old school if you're here this morning listening to me. If you just would bow your head and kind of close your eyes, this doesn't make you more spiritual. It's not because we're a particular domination, but it's out of respect and reverence for those beside you. If you could just be like real in this moment, just be blatantly real. And you would say, I, I, I'm Zacchaeus. I, I am I've been conceived, but I've not been born again. Would you just raise your hand? God bless you. Got hands up all over. Now, I'm not going to tell you a certain prayer to pray, because I'll be honest with you, I've prayed a certain prayer. What I'm going to ask you to do is you decide in your heart to accept the tugging that Jesus has been pulling on your heart because you know, you know if this is you. If you're going to set the table, if you're going to make preparations and gather with the Father, you must confess and you must acknowledge. And we're going to let you do that on your own here. We'll gladly speak with you. We're going to go into a song. It's so simple. It just here's my heart. And that's what God wants. He doesn't want your... your your material possessions. He wants you. If you will, just just stand with us as we sing this last song. Let's just give God a, a few more moments. Hey, listen. Leave here today born again if you're not sure. But don't let my emotional plea be it for you because this is where I'm going to sound insensitive. I'm born again. I'm born again. I want you to be. It's about you. It's not about me.
Sure. 